Welcome to HBW's Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley and I'll be chatting with industry experts and insiders about the latest trends, issues and intelligence in consumer healthcare. In this episode, we look at yet another piece of EU sustainability legislation, this time the Green Claims Code. Sustainability expert Joe Stevenson, Managing Director of PhD Marketing, explains the background to the legislation, which proposes detailed rules for companies that wish to make environmental claims. Although companies are not required to make green claims and may choose not to given these stricter rules, Stevenson points out that companies will soon be required to record and report extensive environmental data in the future, so may as well use this information to create robust and credible green claims in the future. Being used to strict rules on making health claims, consumer healthcare firms are in a good position to embrace and even benefit from this new framework, Stevenson also points out. Hi Joe, thanks for coming back on the Over the Counter podcast. Nice to see you again. Hi, nice to see you. How are you? Hot. We've had fantastic weather the last few weeks, so um, I work from home as well as from an office and it's absolutely boiling here. So yeah, not (laughs) the most pleasant conditions, but we'll get through it. (laughs) So uh, do you just want to introduce yourself again, even though you've already been on, on the podcast? Of course, no problem. So I'm Jo Stevenson and I'm um, Managing Director of a company called PhD Marketing Limited. Um, We work with a range of um, healthcare pharma life sciences companies as well as the print and packaging market, um, helping them communicate uh, their brands and messages out to uh, their clients. So I work on quite a broad uh, range of clients, but um, Knowing the topic that we're going to be talking about today, it's probably uh, pretty interesting to uh, understand the situation both from a uh, life sciences and pharma perspective as well as uh, the packaging perspective. So I'm, I've got a foot in both camps. That's probably the best way to describe it. Definitely. Yeah. Brilliant to have you on. And then, um, you know, last time we spoke to you, we talked about the, you know, the UK um, version of this kind of green claims legislation. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we we wanted to ask you about the EU Green Claims uh, Regulation. I'm not sure what the official name is. It's uh, an important bit of um, legislation coming in, and um, and it's great for you to have you on to make the link. I think with consumer health because uh, it's one of these regulations that covers you know a, a broad spectrum of companies. Yeah. But obviously, given that consumer healthcare companies do a lot of marketing and have been starting to you know emphasize the kind of green credentials of products if they've you know made some investment in that area um they now may have to be quite careful about what they do in when exactly. it comes to green claims is that correct exactly very much so so if i talk about what the green claims directive is all about and when it's happening and um, perhaps that'll help um give us some insight to the seriousness of this actually and, and as we talked last time with the green claims code Coming into the UK, the UK took a bit of a head start on this one, but the EU has taken it even more seriously. So um, this has been mooted in March 2023, and it in truth doesn't really apply from 2026. But there's typically an 18 month gap between something being talked about as a, a new piece of legislation, directive or regulation, however we want to describe it and the reality of it coming into force. So the, the belief is that it'll apply from 2026. And what this is about is stopping companies um, 
from uh, eco-advertising, putting mis misleading claims out around the environment. And what I think what's really interesting for the consumer healthcare and, and pharma area is this industry is very used to being very, very careful with its marketing and communications and, and, and is very um, reticent to make any claims without due backing. So I think it's probably in, in a good space in understanding how to apply this. But what the EU is keen to do is, is really remove um, any misleading um, environmental claims, get rid of fake labels, and I'll talk about what those are in a moment, and also any false sustainability promises. And we've all seen this, you know, on packaging, you'll see environmentally friendly or climate light was one I saw the other day carbon neutral or net zero applicable. There's all sorts of descriptions. And, and let me assure people, this is not just the EU and the UK. The US has actually been on this for the last couple of years as well. But it's trying to get a, away from these misleading um, messages on pack that suggest something is positive for the environment when indeed nothing is good for the environment. Even if you take a glass of water, we are redirecting water away from nature. We are using some industry somewhere to get that water to us. So to suggest anything is, is environmentally friendly is an untruth. It's just a, a misnomer. So we've got to move to the point where, and this is what the, the EU government wants or the EU um, organisation wants, is to move us into a situation where any claims on a product or packaging are truthful and can be validated and substantiated. And that's quite a big move from where we were previously. Um, just to explain the fake labels um, piece within that, um, there's been a bit of an explosion in people creating their own logos to describe some sort of environmental benefit or green claim. And they're really uncomfortable with that approach. So you know, many of us will see the, the confusion over recycling today, particularly of plastics, and we're used to kind of those joined arrows, but it's trying to put some stringency and, and um, uh, standardisation into uh, the labelling of product as well. It's not just about the messaging on pack. That's a great uh, introduction overview. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, I was looking at this and, uh, and you know, the kind of examples it was giving on the uh, you know, in the kind of um, explanation of the legislation proposed um, in the European Commission was, yeah, like stuff like net zero even. I mean, this right. is something that you see all the time, isn't it? I mean, the governments are saying net zero all the time. Um, you know, it's just almost like a cliche now, isn't it? So, I mean, companies right. aren't going to be able to necessarily even say things like that. Or, I mean, you were talking even like sustainable, you know, what, what's Sust yeah, far reaching? I think it, the, the terms certain terms can be used again i would stress environmentally friendly is probably the one that's it's really thrown out but um you can certainly make claims moving forward but what you've got to be able to do is validate and substantiate that and this is where it gets pretty complex in in how we do that the reality is and if we talk about where all this has come from um it's really born out of the fmcg industries that have been a bit loose and fast over the last few years as the whole environmental pressure has climbed you know, I, I talked in our last podcast about the um, 2016 Blue Planet series with Sir David Attenborough. That just caused an explosion in terms of climate change awareness, microplastics, marine litter, blah, 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 blah. The, the story goes on. And, and what we had was a lot of knee jerk reactions from companies 
both in terms of production of goods that they claimed were a better environmental alternative, but more importantly, were making claims that were factually untrue. So this is an attempt by governments, NGOs and indeed consumers pushing from the back to say we want the truth. And actually, if you look at demographic data, millennials and Gen Z's are extremely eco aware, but they want transparency and provenance. And I think it's it's almost a bit of a response to that. In t- you know, we even talk about the Greta Thunbergs, don't we? But it, it's look, you can't just say it. You've got to prove what you're doing. And indeed, that the EU went out to look at claims online and found 40 percent of the claims that were available online were actually misleading. Um, not a surprise. It's what the CMA in the UK really stepped in to address the first time round. But what they're doing is is really taking it to the next level and saying, if you put that on a pack, just like a health claim, which our industry is used to, then we need to see the data. And it's that data production that's going to be the challenge for everybody. Yeah, it's, uh, just a bit more on the context. I'm glad you brought up the uh, investigation where the EU looked at some claims. Um, we wrote about that. And yeah, there was, you know, they found, like you say, something like 40 percent of claims being false. Mm. Um, mm. So that's a bit of the background, isn't it? Um, but also, I think, you know, I've been writing about sustainability and consumer health for a couple of years now. And, uh, and I've definitely seen a shift in the last few months. I went to one of the industry conferences and you could see it, it wasn't just, you know, that there was a panel on uh, sustainability and, you know, maybe think about this and this is quite exciting. You know, the whole conference was really about it. There was uh, pharmaceuticals in the environment. There was uh, recycling. You know, but it, but the difference I think was was that the regulators at an That's EU it. level, especially, were saying, right, it's changed now. This yeah. is all about what you can and can't do. Our patience is running out, and also, your the special um, circumstances we've given pharmaceutical companies, for example, mm. is, is still there, but there's a time limit on it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. get to just um, you don't get to just do. Uh, what your own thing forever even though they recognize that there are some difficulties there so there's a real mm. tension in the in the consumer healthcare and, and, industry and that's the nub of it I think David the, the bottom line is I think there's been huge shifts in industries around the world in terms of attention on this and activity it's just not fast enough and with evidence of climate change and I am sitting here in a hot room and I hate to say this is climate change but um with evidence of that mounting and pressure mounting, they've decided if industry and society can't move quickly enough, we're going to have to force it. And that's really the nub of it. It's a regulatory move that is just shifting things that much more quickly. And and really, there's going to be quite a big cost to many, many industries around the world on this front now. But as I said, I think the, the life sciences and, and pharma and, and consumer healthcare areas they're used to a very risk averse, um, regula- tightly regulatory controlled market environment. So actually adopting this and putting it into practice, it's probably one of the best industries to, to tackle it. It's just because it's not traditionally been able to market, perhaps in the way that general FMCG brands and, and companies have been able to, um, they've perhaps thought it wouldn't impact them in the same way. And yet they, they have got some serious responsibilities coming forward. There's a couple of uh, things about the the proposed uh, new rules that I thought was quite interesting and maybe points to this change in emphasis from the regulator. 
there's um on the one hand i noticed there's a kind of point about li the life cycle so i mean if you're if you're talking about something being net zero for example mm. actually you've got to be quite careful if you're thinking about the life cycle of a product because that means you've got to think about how it was made the raw materials mm -hmm. how it got to wherever it's going what happens to it afterwards if if i'm right in understanding mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. there's also this whole thing about the um you know having to verify before use or so there's some there's a there's a bit about having to do some work before you make the claim rather than it being a kind of more self-regulated thing isn't there that that's quite a big difference Okay, well, we need to step back a little bit to understand all of where all this is coming from, because I hadn't made this connection, but now this actually all, all makes sense. What's actually happening is there's a new piece of legislation coming in, 2526, under the EU Green Deal. It's part of the, now let me get the actual descriptions correct for you, because I don't want to, to lead you astray here. It's part of the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. So what's happening in 25, 26, depending on the size of your company, is that you are going to have to record your environmental performance from a governance, transparency, provenance perspective. So if your business, irrespective of what industry you're in, is over 40 million euros as of at best case 2026, you are going to have to report what's known as your scope one, two and three emissions. So this is your carbon footprint of your products and your operations. Um, a lot of companies have been excluded from that up until now. It's only about 11,700 were captured under that legislation. There's over 50,000 now. And it's only really the sort of micro SMEs that ex escape the, the um, reporting requirement. So the reality is, if you're a sizable company, and take that anything over, I think it's 2 million euros and 10 people, you are going to have to record your scope one, two, three emissions. And for those of you on, who are listening who aren't sustainability savvy, that means your carbon footprint of what you do, but including your supply chain. And that's the bit that's throwing everybody because for packaging manufacturers, for example, suddenly they're going to have to supply you the carbon front of their pack that you're putting your tablets, supplements and so forth into, powders or whatever it is. So why am I talking about this? Well, if you're going to record your LCA and have all that beautiful data in front of you and be able to look at how you operate and now have some ability to change your processes and protocols in order to improve your environmental footprint, guess what? The marketing team are going to get involved and everybody's going to want to shout about, oh, we're fantastic compared to that company or we're doing this to improve our carbon footprint, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is a layering of regulation actually on the one hand we're forcing all companies now within the eu meant i stress it isn't in the uk until it gets migrated into the uk which i suspect it invariably will do by 2026 they're going to be recording their lcas and by the way i'm really concerned because i don't think there's enough company and people companies and people out there actually able to do this you know I, i'm just working in the uk and you know we work with a company that is doing fantastic work on it but there, there simply isn't enough people um, out there doing LCA work at the moment, we're then going to feed into the Green, green Claims Directive. So if you're going to translate that knowledge into some sort of claim on your pack or your product, you're then going to have to do it in the right way and not get trapped into making claims. Now, the two should go hand in hand. If you've now got your LCA data and you can say, I don't know, 30% reduction in LCA with this pack, you know, versus, I don't know, a cardboard box versus a pouch or something like that, you've put your product in, You've got the data, you can substantiate it, you can make that claim, but you've just got to avoid these sort of woolly 
climate friendly, carbon footprint, light, environmentally friendly type terms, because they will come down hard on you if, if you if you do that. So there is a there is a reporting directive that's going to force you to create the data and a fundamental belief that once you've done that, basically people are going to start marketing it more effectively, even if it's within online um, I don't know websites that talk to the consumers that are using your products I find it highly unlikely that marketing teams wouldn't want to use that data in which case this legislation is designed to really control what's put out there all that being said I do wonder in the interim with the awareness of this legislation coming through whether many many companies will actually go just don't claim anything environmentally yeah, just don't say because you've got two choices <laughs> but I think but I think like you say um if you if you have to record the data properly that's part of the problem at the moment isn't it that nobody's doing there it are, well and but there are also all these different frameworks there's not all the expertise um it's just it seems just to be a very difficult thing to do even if you want to do it properly i'm not saying that yeah. there are companies that want to not do it properly but you know um so if if there is this thing where, which means that you have to if you're a big company mm. and then you get your head around this claims uh framework yeah. it seems like a no-brainer to then make the claim you know and like yeah. you say this is consumer health being good at this anyway you know if you make yeah. a claim it has to look like this you yeah. say this kind of word you know if it's a food you have to say it like this way you right. can't sound like a medicine you know it's like it sounds like that would be a thing that you could do fit. quite yeah I wouldn't yeah, say easily, but it's it's just something that you've already prepared for, really, isn't it? It is. And and particularly for sort of OTC type products, your consumer of the future, and I'm only talking perhaps 10 years away, is very driven by these types of claims. So they're making today purchasing decisions based on the packaging, for example, not just the, the benefits of the product. So they are making values decisions based on how you communicate to them. So I think, you know, I saw some data recently and I'm, I might be getting it wrong, but something like 72 percent of consumers today prefer packaging that is plastic free. And I, I might be talking rubbish, but it was really quite a, a high number of today's shoppers that were making choices based on that. I assume an awful lot more are basing it on price with the cost of living crisis. But anyway, yeah. um, so I. Even if you go down the route of going, well, look, we just won't claim anything on the green front because how is it relevant to what we're trying to achieve with our product? I understand that mentality, but I think there's only so long you're going to get away with that because everybody's affected by this legislation coming through. You're going to have to do the hard work anyway, so you might yeah. as well use it to your advantage. Well, it's, well, and also you're losing out on an opportunity, aren't you? Because other Correct. companies will do it. You know, it's just it's another way to to appeal to consumers and ultimately in consumer health it is about what consumers want so it seems exactly. you would be shooting yourself in the foot a little bit by stepping out of that uh, area really exactly i hope you're enjoying this episode of over the counter so far don't forget to follow Pharma Intelligence Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Also check out HPW Insight at hpw.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all the latest health 
beauty and wellness news and intelligence. Keep listening. This episode continues now. So on the other, so on the other bit, then the kind of verified before use mm. uh, aspect. That sounds <laughs> scary. <laughs> yeah, and this, I sort of sat back and thought about exactly what they're going to mean about this. If if we go right back to basics, fundamentally, there's an ISO standard that companies can use already, the ISO fourteen thousand and one, and any of the large companies listening to this will already probably have sustainability leaders in place. I'm thinking more the kind of mid-size and, and SME type type brands that perhaps are listening. Um, so ISO 14001 gives you a management of sustainability guide for your company. It's an environmental management framework. Um, and that gives you the ability to really look at how you're going to manage sustainability or ESG as it's invariably become known now. Um, as a business and you can sign up to that and get accredited so that's number one in terms of verifying we're we're the good guys we're doing things in the right way having your ISO ISO 14001 is certainly a good start Um, but what the legislation is actually demanding is integrity transparency and and verification of the data and that's where it gets a little bit chunky because first of all you've got to take into account the entire supply chain So you're now having to put new processes in place to audit your supply chains. You can't just accept that your packaging comes from Jack Mills in Bradford or whatever it is. You know, you've really got to do your homework on they're not using slave labour. Have they got appropriate policies in place? What is the carbon footprint of that pack, for example? And you have to ensure full substantiation of the complete life cycle. So you cannot miss any part or process. Ultimately, it's about collecting data substantiating that data so verifying it which is is just sheer homework basically in terms of what you've got to do developing guidelines within your business to manage that data and ensure it's updated appropriately regularly and then you have to bring in a third party to verify that data you can't just do it yourself so you've got to go out to the market and have an lca consultant or a verified accredited party um, confirm what you've said so, uh, you know, for example, I'm a marketing firm, but I've got EcoVardis and I don't even know that EcoVardis verifies your carbon footprint. What it does is checks the checks and balances within your business to make sure you've got all the appropriate processes and protocols in place. But I'm not sure it's actually validating the LCA data. So who those individuals are? Pass. This is probably why it's not coming into force yet and will be 2026. Um, but you are going to have to have new operating models new processes in place and you're going to have to bring your management team your marketing team your ops team your risk management team together typical people that you might have had in terms of your product claims and bring them over to the sustainability side so some new skills needed in a business but fundamentally you've got to have third-party verification of the data once you've done all the hard work of generating it You've got to go out to market and find somebody to say, yes, they've done it correctly and happy days. But I, I don't know who those individuals are at this point in terms of accreditations. So basically, you know, a bit of forward planning um, is required, isn't it, with an Absolutely. extra probably couple of steps? Absolutely. And and one of the big debates with LCAs is their accuracy. Um and also we we call it you know you'll hear these terms cradle to grave and gate to gate and it's where is the scope three emission stopping and starting so for you you know going to your packaging supplier and saying what's the 
imagine the classic pill pack with the with the carton box with a leaflet in it going to them and saying what's the carbon footprint of that pack is that sufficient in terms of your gate that you've had that information or have you actually got to go to the supplier of the packaging firm and get their carbon footprints i think that will be too far i think as long as you've you've made a judicious approach to verify the claim and have the data from your supplier that will probably suffice but yeah it's it's a little bit woolly dare i say at this point but we are early on it's it's march march 23 it was announced we're only june 23 and they're not anticipating full implementation until 25 26 so we've got a little time to get this cleared up so um what happens probably too early to say as well with this but what happens if you get this wrong what what i mean what are the kind of oh, um, oh this bit they're very clear on david <laughs> <laughs> this, this always amazes me how they can't actually tell you how you're going to do it but we'll tell you if you get it wrong what it's going to cost you <laughs> they have announced that there will be a legal investigation and up to a four percent of annual turnover fine if you are found to make erroneous claims on your products or packs well, that's scary so we enough, can't actually it? tell you who's going to verify at this point, <laughs> but we can tell you what it's going to cost you. Now, let's be realistic. These guys, because of sheer resource, tend to only go after the big brands. Let's be honest about it. And I'll give you an example within the the FMCG world. And you, you may have seen it yourself. Boohoo.com got caught because they were supplying dresses and clothes in basically polyethylene um, film bags. You, you might have seen them coming through the, the the mail with these guys through their e-commerce systems. They were stamping on their bags made from recycled content. And Boohoo genuinely thought the bags were made from recycled content. If you know anything about the whole recycling world at the moment, virgin plastics are actually cheaper than recycled plastics a lot of the time at the moment because everybody's gone sustainability crazy. Absolutely rightfully so. There's insufficient recyclers on the market. So it's a demand and supply game. And when virgin plastics, you know, are dropping away and recycled demand is going up, of course, the price has gone up for recycled material. Their supply, whoever that was, flipped them back over to virgin material. Hope nobody would notice. And they got checked and caught out. And not only were they fined on that, secondarily, the massive reputational damage because you've got young girls and boys all looking at this going my values are around the environment I've grown up with this stuff I do not trust your brand now it took them into the whole cheap fashion fast fashion arguments and caused huge reputational damage for them so that's just a bit of a warning of, of what can happen but yeah they've declared four percent of annual turnover as, as the fine if you should be found to be uh, making claims that you shouldn't be so it is in all our interest not, not only from an ethical perspective but from a financial perspective to start really thinking about how we get on top of this this work but i think that's the point isn't it there's the you know there's the investigation and then there's the potential fine but really it's the reputational damage with with Correct. consumer health really importantly um yeah. you know we're talking 100 year old brands sometimes aren't we exactly Where, you know exactly. families have been using the same product for generations um, and yeah. then that new generation is using it and then is also really concerned about the environment and then puts two and two together sees that on the news mm -hmm. and then that's it you've lost that consumer forever haven't you well it, it, it truly is a, a trust relationship you know a lot of again fmcd brands will talk about building you know trusted consumer relationships but you know if i chew one toffee or one 
sweet product over another you know yes I like a particular product but I don't think of it as a trusted relationship but definitely in the consumer healthcare market it's entirely different you're buying into that that company reputation and that product and to have that questioned when it comes to the environment again I, I stress the demographics of this because perhaps if you're 40 plus this is not front of mind necessarily of course there's always a segment of society that is very eco-driven but it tends to be the under 40s at the moment that are really motivated by this whole value driver and it it, it is feeding through into consumer healthcare I, I work with companies myself who are working on their ESG programs and, and looking at this whole space themselves so it's I think my message is it's got to come up the priority list even though this still feels like two years away because you've probably got 18 months work at least to get it together if you've not started doing your LCOs yet. So there's a lot to take in I think isn't there but there I is. think <laughs> as well as stressing the uh, the kind of seriousness of it I think um, it's important to stress that it's again that it's you know it's only just been kind of proposed and there's a lot to work through and then you know yeah. some of it will change but thinking about how the other environmental um, legislation that's coming in has been presented by the European Commission it's probably not a lot going to be a lot of scope for you know special measures and delays and stuff I feel like like the other ones this is this is how it's going to be and <laughs> and it's just really about working out the details rather than making any substantial changes uh, according to input from industry yeah and uh, I think as we've discussed you've got to get out clause you know as long as you if you're fitting the criteria for having to do your scope one two three emissions anyway and, and reporting from a transparency perspective under that piece of legislation you don't have to make environmental claims on your packs what we're saying is it could be a value motivator for potential consumers or patients in the future um so if you are uncomfortable stay away from it do the right thing in terms of putting your systems and frameworks and processes in place but just leave the claims part out of it until you're absolutely crystal clear that what you've got in front of you is is correct and then move forward but I think as we've we've discussed, any, you know, I don't like to use the word brand, but, you know, any company in this market, if you're not looking at the environmental perspective of your business, you're missing a trick. And it, it may feel lower priority in the healthcare market relative to solving the world's challenging health issues or, you know, at least contributing to the well-being of, of the consumers that you, that you supply. But um it is going to become part of the purchasing decision particularly you know for the otc products and every government department so hospitals gps all of these people are starting to talking about what they're doing on sustainability so you've just got to join the join the party i'm afraid and and be aware of the legislation that's coming through um as I said, anybody that's really small, under 10 people or less than 2 million euros turnover, you're not captured by this. So that's the good news. Um, but anybody of any reasonable size, you, you've got to tread pretty carefully moving forward. And, and even if you're working with a marketing agency or, or communications partner, not all of those are, are up to speed. You know, I pride myself with my business because I have the foot in the two camps that we're aware of, of what's coming down the pipe. But I talk time and time again to people and they have no idea about any of this legislation. So I think the world is only just waking up to it, to be honest, in the EU. And, and of course, for the UK, it's whether we translate these demands into the into the UK market. But I, I pretty much can guarantee they will do. The CMA went first before the EU. The EU followed. 
I, I suspect we're going to follow in terms of that that reporting data as well. So the, the two I mean, are definitely intrinsically linked. But the point is, anyway, if you're you may be a British company, but if you've got any footprint in the EU, then you're going to have to work it. You have to work within it anyway because of the because yeah. of the life cycle aspect of it. Absolutely. And if you're white labelling for any brand in, in Europe as well, they're going to be asking you for your RCA in order to support theirs. So you get captured both ways, to be honest with you. So, again, better to bite the bullet and get on with it and, and see how you go. But um, as I said, you, you've got a little bit of a get out clause in, in just not making any claims short, medium term. You don't have to do this, but you are going to have to do the restructuring around sustainability and getting those processes in place that you can re report effectively but also confidently so that you don't get caught out. So just finally what is what are the kind of next uh, things to watch out for in terms of the progress of this um, this new proposed legislation? Um, fundamentally the EU is trying to drive transparency on environmental and social affairs and these legislative moves and regulatory moves are going to keep coming so I think keeping an eye on the news and, and tracking listening to podcasts like this of course but reading of course um, can certainly help you the EU wants to be a front runner in all of this it's quite clear it's this this move that it's making 25 26 it's getting it ahead of sort of global sustainability drive so it's taking the mantle and, and we're going to get caught up in that um, it's estimated that about 50,000 companies are going to get trapped under it. So I'm expecting the new legislation um, for reporting went out in November 2022. The green claims was 23. So, yeah, you're looking at 25 at the earliest in this hitting. But I would just keep a careful eye on those deadlines, to be honest with you. Um, and then... Um, it's anybody over 40 million euros that has to produce the one, two, three scope emissions. So if you're under 40 million euros, you can relax a little bit on those reporting requirements. Um, the, the bigger challenge, I think, in terms of what to, what to watch out for is not falling down a bit of a rabbit hole in terms of the, or, or underestimating the amount of work that's got to be done. As I mentioned before, it's about bringing multiple functions together within your business, but also making sure somebody has the sustainability skills on hand and bringing in partners that can advise you. There's other pieces of legislation going on, things like EPR, which is the um, environmental packaging responsibility. So this um, starts to move the responsibility for packaging production and disposal onto the, the manufacturer. So even though you think that falls onto your converter, it actually falls onto you as the owner of the packaging. So actually having regulation experts wider than the product, consumer health product experts that people typically have in their businesses is, is incredibly important. And there are people out there that can help you with that. Um, but it is a bit of a, a shifting sands at the moment. So keeping abreast of those dates and times. The good news is it's all on the EU Gov website and the UK government website. And actually the UK government has done a really nice, if you just put in, UK Gov green claims code into Google it'll bring it up and they've done a really nice page where they've got a quiz on whether um, certain claims are uh, suitable or not and it gives you a guide on how to to create claims that that work so there is a little bit of help out there we're not the blind leading the blind at the moment fortunately. 
I think the EU will also put a lot of stuff out there to support companies. It, you know, even when it is in the mode of, you know, hurry up, get on with it, no patience or whatever. It also at the same time emphasises that the support there, there are also, uh, you know, there's funding out there to help companies with innovation. And, you know, I think there'll, there'll be both hands uh, extended, won't there? The, <laughs> the kind of more threatening and the more helpful both at the same time. <laughs> we hope, we hope. But I think the good news is if if you're based in the UK, the green because we've had the green claims code now for a couple of years, I think people are a bit more aware and a bit more used to it. Um, I'm st- I think I said before, I'm, I'm still a little concerned that some of the communications agencies that are on the market aren't as aware as they should be. But um, there is, you know, some some assistance on UK Gov. Um, and I, I think that will only increase with time. I, I would expect to see another kind of boohoo type scenario advertised because that's a classic of the CMA picking a case and, and promoting it to make everybody think. And I, mm. you know, that was a little while ago now, so I suspect we're going to see another one in the next few <laughs> months that just kind of puts it to the forefront. Um, but yes, this EU directive is is going to come hard and heavy and, and none of us want to lose 4% of our turnover just on some, some silly line on pack, which is invariably what it is. So get your marketing departments to rein back on any clever recycling logos or anything like that that they're thinking about or claims around their products please don't rely on your packaging suppliers really test out and challenge them with with the realities and and to look at those uh, support tools that are out there and and see if you can do a better job than perhaps some of that 40 percent that the eu found recently (laughs) that's great advice well, I really appreciate um, you spending all this time looking at this and explaining another, you know, big bit of uh, claims regulation for us. Well, I hope I've not. I've, I've tried to make the complex simple because when you read it, honestly, I was going cross-eyed with some of it. But it, <laughs> it is pretty simple when you get down to the basics. So you just got to use your common sense. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. No problem. Thanks, David. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for more episodes every two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.farmerintelligence.informer.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Farmer Intelligence Podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.